1: Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are watching and listening to the Downtown Riders Jam Video Podcast, which is part of the Silent Listen Podcast Network. We are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today. It is a lovely, lovely fall day here. Pepper, our border, not as enamored with my voice as Max was, not loving all the lights. She is in the other room, sleeping like the cute old lady that she is. I am uh, excited today. Uh, It is rare that I get to have somebody on the program who lived through and was at the center of a lot of um, international stuff, Uh, economics, all of the austerity stuff that happened, um, the sort of global collapse of the financial markets. Uh, But today's guest is one of those people. And while we're not going to talk all about that stuff specifically, his latest book is about the philosophy that he has and about um, some of the things that he learned along the way. And he's just, he's fascinating. And it was one of those conversations that as it was happening, I was like, um, you know, like I know about these things, but when you're talking to somebody that like actually knows about them, you realize like, Oh, I'm not, I don't really know that much. Uh, Which is always a great place for me to be. I love being in that place because it's a chance to learn Um, Giannis Verifakis is here. His book, Another Now, is out right now. So he's a world-renowned economist. He's the author of the bestseller, Talking to My Daughter. He's got two previous books, uh, Adults in the Room, which is a memoir of his time as the finance minister of Greece and an economic history of Europe and The Weak Suffer What They Must. Uh, both were number one bestsellers. He is was born in 61 in Athens. Uh, he's been a professor of economics in Britain Australia, and the USA, Uh, and then he entered politics, and you'll find out like it was sort of an accident. Uh, He's the co-founder of the international grassroots movement, DM25, and in 2019, won election as one of the representatives in Greek parliament. Uh, He's a professor of economics at the University of Athens right now, and when we talked, he was on deadline, (laughs) so it doesn't matter how big and important you are, like when deadline is happening... You, you know, I get pushed off a little bit, appropriately so. I believe he was finishing a piece for The Guardian. Before we get to Giannis, a couple things. The Jam comes out every Wednesday. The video podcasts come out on Monday and Friday. And you can always catch the audio version of these video podcasts where you listen to the Jam. So a couple things you can do for us. First, if you like books and you have friends that like books, tell them about the program. The best thing you can do for us is help us spread the word other thing you can do is leave us a review. If you listen using an iPod or your iPhone, uh, not your iPod, because it's the 2021, uh, with your iPhone, head on over to Apple Podcasts and you can leave us a written review and a star review, super helpful. If you don't have an iPhone, you don't use Apple Podcasts, head to our Facebook page, The Writer's Jam and leave us a review there. If you are looking for books, recommendations, any of that stuff, head over to The Writer's Jam. We have book reviews that we put up. You can click on our bookshop link and find local and independent bookstores and sign up for our newsletter. And you can support everybody on the Solid Listen Network by clicking on that Patreon button. For just a couple dollars a month, you'll get commercial free episodes and a ton of bonus content by everybody on the network. So I'm super excited to have Giannis today. Uh, He's one of those people like when it came across my desk. I was immediately like, well, yeah, this guy's going to be fascinating because he was in the, like I said, he's in the middle of a lot of stuff. And what I found most charming about him, uh, and you'll see as you watch the interview, you know, you do these and you're promoting your book. And so there is a persona that you have when you're doing the promotions and things like this. And one of the things that I enjoy about this program is I think most of the time people very quickly realize like, oh, this is not going to be, that literary podcast and so we talked a little bit about him uh you know being that dude that goes into rooms and like just tells people what he thinks even if it might not be uh what the status quo was hoping so you know i don't have to agree with everybody on on what they do and and i don't even know enough about economics to 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 agree or disagree and this is not punting like this is just one of those like I don't know anything other than like the general stuff that I have with most people right about equality and equity and all that stuff and like I'm a working class dude and pro-union all those things but like this is a dude that like he's an economist who's like dealing with real real stuff in a country in a union in a world so for me to be like oh yeah I agree or disagree like uh that's that's hard for me but well I like the shit out of him i feel like he and i could sit down and i'd learn a whole bunch of stuff listening to him talk and i thought it was uh it's really interesting when you hear why he wrote this book you have to stick around but like uh it was the other reason i liked him because at a certain point it's one thing to like say no no we should do things this way it's another thing to be like oh what would that thing look like and then try to design it uh so Giannis is uh he's pretty cool like i got off the phone with him and i was like yeah I kind of wish we'd had another three or four hours because I think that would have been a fascinating show. As it is, uh, thank you for stopping by the bunker, spend some time with Pepper and I. She's here for another week. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. And I hope that your day is going well and that you're taking care of yourself, that you're getting the shot and the booster if you are eligible for that and do that as soon as you can. And I hope that you will sit back and enjoy... 20 or 30 minutes with Giannis
0: Varoufakis. From life, um, from politics, uh, Become I was politicized from a very, very young age and politics is all about power and there's no way you can understand power if you don't understand the distribution of wealth and capitalism. So, you know, it's like asking fish, what's your relationship with water? You know, <laughs> it's <laughs> my not- environment. But not everybody comes out of it with your viewpoint. Oh, no, no, that's true. That's true.
1: <laughs> so, how do you end up with yours? Like, what is it? What was it that shaped you early that was like, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a poor kid from a very small Appalachian town in America. So, mine was formed by watching it, seeing
0: who was well, running. Mine, who mine, was. Mine, mine, came, mine came, well, of course, from experience. This is where we, you know, we learn our stuff. Uh, my politicization was inevitable. Uh, inevitable. It was um, determined before I was born, because um, uh, I was born in 1961, um, a few years after the civil war in this country, between left and right. My father had spent four years in a prison camp as a political prisoner. He was constantly hounded by that memory and the torture and all that. When I was six, uh, we had a coup d'etat organized by the CIA um so the you know the, the, the former democratic state was dissolved and on that night I was six I remember the secret police broke down our door and abducted my father for a few months um so it was always going to be yeah <laughs> a political life <laughs> yeah and understanding from the
1: very beginning who was running the show
0: yeah who's running the show and you know you know what what comes down and that this is Yeah, the notion that um, we live in a world determined by the forces of demand and supply, uh, which equilibrate the cosmos in the same way that uh, gravity makes the solar system work like clockwork. This was all bullshit to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I could never take this seriously. I was fascinated by this concept, but, you know, I couldn't take it seriously.
1: I mean, it is why I became a journalist originally,
0: because, you know,
1: my mentors at Berkeley were very much, truth to power people they were like your job is to not allow these people in power to just do, whether you like them or not whether you agree with them or not your job is to make sure that because yeah people typically tend to not be altruistic
0: yeah uh but again there's no such thing as typical hmm? Even when it comes to human beings this is the beauty it's what you said before yeah yeah uh, every fish has a different relation with other fish and with the water in which they swim Yeah. I mean,
1: I mean, when you get into power, it becomes very difficult. My experience, you know, writing about the Senate and Congress, even the even people that I like, even people that I agree with, you Mm -hmm. see them doing stuff and you're like, yeah, if I was presented with that opportunity, I would probably think, well, this isn't bad. Or, you know, whatever. And like suddenly, like that was why my mentors were like, that's you can't approach it as a writer that way. That can't
0: be how you do it or as a politician, for that matter, unless you really want to sell your soul to the devil very, very early on. Yeah. Um, You know, I have this book that came out in 2017 in the United States as well called called, uh, Adults in the Room. And um, in that I tell the story of how, you know, I'm I'm an accidental politician. I mean, I was never going to be a politician. I was always an academic. Uh, Just that I opened my big mouth saying that my country was bankrupt at some point that became hot news in Britain and elsewhere so I got involved and at some point you know I was offered a position of finance minister you know yeah equivalent your treasury secretary yeah and you know it was just too tempting not to try to um stir up some trouble yeah uh, well but- it was a
1: very interesting time when that happened I mean it was right. a it was it must be weird you know I've interviewed people I've, I've been doing this for a long time I've interviewed all kinds of folks. And I know everybody's just a person, but it also must be weird to like, look back at that moment and be like, well, this was a fulcrum in modern history. Like what, where you were at the time you were dealing with the debt crisis and everything that was happening politically across Eastern Europe and Europe. And then what we see happened here. Yeah, but must I knew have it been- was historical
0: accident. I yeah. always knew it was a historical accident. It had nothing to do with me personally, but you know, it was, you know, it was an accident and I had to, to take advantage of it. Uh, on behalf of many people who were voiceless. And I knew it wasn't going to last, but what what I was getting at was the manner in which I was approached by the powers that be, people like, you know, Larry Summers or uh, Christine Lagarde or Mario Draghi Um, on day one, especially Christine Lagarde who was the most skilled of them all um, and the most uh, sophisticated, I should say. Uh, The way she made it clear to me that um, she thought I was right that my radical critique of the system was correct, that the system was fucked. She didn't use that word, right? But that, <laughs> that's what she meant. And then she, then she, in a very kind of maternal way, she said, um, "But you know, your credibility yeah, this depends on you know, accepting what we do and being part of it and trying to make changes within it. You know, but don't rock the boat." And I can tell you that, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I was immune to that narrative because i didn't want to be a minister i didn't want to be a politician I didn't give a shit right um but if you have even the tiniest inclination in that, that direction if you are predisposed you know to you know, to being amongst the powerful it's very it's magnetic it's very yeah. hard to resist, very hard to resist and you know it's um it's a bit like you know joining the mafia you commit to the first crime and that's it then yeah. like Lady Macbeth, you have to commit the second one to, carry, yeah. to cover up the first, and the third to cover uh, cover up the second, and so on. Yeah. Well, that was what I meant by
1: even people that I liked, who I interviewed. You, I would see him doing stuff, and I'm like, I, like I understand why it's happening because it, it you have the temptation and you have the ability, and you can justify it in your head that first move is not being a bad move or not being as mm-hmm. bad as what else is happening. Yeah, it's right, and then and you get you, sucked it. Yeah, and if you want to stay in there, like you're saying. Okay. Yeah, then you're going to then you're part of that. And I always like as I be, as I was writing about stuff and as I was spending more time in D.C., that became again as a poor kid. I was like none of like I never thought that I would be in there. So I was like, this stuff seems crazy as shit what's happening here. And I can understand how we ended up this way because it's not planned. It seems moment to moment. Every decision is made for the moment and not for five years from now or 10 years from now. Yeah. yeah. So. That's great. That's great. What sure, makes but... you like, because uh, I don't want to make light of anything you've done because you were in the middle of a lot of stuff, but like writing novels is a terrible business. It's an awful, it's a pain. Like what, what, what how do you gravitate to writing novels as sort of the next part of th- communicating this stuff to people?
0: Look, uh, I'm privileged in the sense that um, I'm doing all right, personally. Um, I'm not rich, don't believe yeah. That was, but I'm comfortable comfortable, and I can choose my projects and I do something if it tickles my fancy and if it doesn't I don't do it and I don't give a damn whether it will succeed or not <laughs> you know, this is a major, major privilege right? Yeah. now why, I, I mean I was never going to write a novel um, but an earlier book of mine which was actually very successful, worldwide 35 languages it was translated mm-hmm. It was the easiest book I ever wrote, which was my account of capitalism. I sat down and in in less than ten days, I wrote up a book on how I think capitalism works. Uh, And the reason why it was easy to write was because I had no references. I had, I didn't work on it. uh, I didn't even have a table of contents before I sat down. It was a stream of consciousness, (laughs) and it was written as a letter to my daughter, to my then twelve-year-old daughter. You know, this is how the work. This is how the economy works. But I didn't even mention capitalism. I didn't use any terms, any terminology, any theories, any references to great men, white men who are dead now. None of that. None of that. So I sat down and I wrote that. And this was called um, Talking to My Daughter About Mm -hmm. the Economy. Uh, A Brief History of Capitalism was the subtitle. And it did really very well. I I even got good write-ups from conservatives. Who said you know we don't like this guy he's an awful man he destroyed his country that kind of thing but this book is good <laughs> that's <laughs> and, pretty good and, that's pretty high and, praise yeah i know i know i was, <laughs> delighted. I was yeah. delighted and one of them and one of them said um um at the end yeah but this guy doesn't like capitalism okay mate if, if you don't like capitalism what's the alternative and that's a difficult question yeah and this is something that you know my wife who's not here opposite me listening um has been telling me for years, if you, you know, put your, mouth, your money where your mouth is, yeah. you know, stop criticizing capitalism without having an alternative. Because the truth yeah. is that we leftists, we don't have an alternative. I mean, what do we speak of? The Soviet Union? Of what? Right. Uh, social democracy, Sweden, that died anyway. Um, so for years, I was thinking that the time must come when I stop avoiding the question. And when this, he, he's actually the Irish finance minister, this guy who wrote the review. Conservative, very conservative, political opon- opponent of mine. And he, he, he said, okay, so you, you don't like capitalism the alternative? I thought I've got to write up an answer. Now, the problem is that unlike, you know, when it comes to writing my views on capitalism, as I said, I sat down and in less than 10 days. Uh, I wrote a, a long essay yeah. with a beginning and a middle and an end explaining how I think the system evolved and why it is like it is. Uh, and I can do that as an essay. But when it, when I I gave myself the task of writing up a blueprint for a society that doesn't exist and how that society could even come about, I, I discovered it was impossible to sit down and write on the base on, you know on a first person basis. Yeah. I think that this is what's going because every time I wrote something, I disagreed with it. <laughs> uh, I ended up, you know, I, I, w- I was making a proposal of how firms, corporations should work. Then I had um, other views, contradictory views. I would write down about how the money system would work in a post-capitalist, non-exploitative, non-capitalist world. Again, I disagreed with myself. So I thought, okay, this, this is not worth This is not as easy <laughs> and, as the first one. <laughs> okay. So immediately the novel comes to mind because in a novel... You know, you, you populate a novel with characters who fight it out with one another. So I thought, I can do that. I can put different views of mine in different characters and watch them fight it out or listen to them fight it out. Okay, so that's what they decided that I was going to write a novel. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
1: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Now, why a science fiction novel? Because I didn't want to write a utopia like that of Henry Moore or, um, um, you know, one of the science fiction utopias where, you know, you're talking about Star Trek. Yeah. For instance, where you've got replicators, nobody works. And they're, therefore, right. there's no reason to have exploitation. If not, nobody, if you don't need somebody to, to do things for you, and the replicator can do everything for you. Right. Well, why do you need to have exploitation? They, they skipped to good the good. end.
1: They skipped all over the middle part. We're just like, we're there. They did very well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they did very well. I'm a, I need to state this for the record. I am a committed trekkie. Um, <laughs> yeah, because that'll be what everybody responds to yeah um but i didn't want to write something like that yeah i wanted to to, to answer the question could we have today with the existing technologies and the existing human frailties could we have a non-capitalist system that works which is more liberal and more efficient and of course just than what we have now for that a novel was not enough because you know where would my characters be um so i came up with the idea that you know, I've, been, I've been saying since 2008, when I wrote a book called The Global Minotaur, um, in which I was trying to, exp- to, to make the point that 2008 was our generation's 1929, changing everything. Uh, and I still believe that, that 2008 was a discontinuity. Um, so it, I thought, well, why did I create a... a, a why don't I make this point even more larger and more powerful, that the 2008 financial crash was so majestic and big, that it ruptured the time space continuum. And at that point, human history, you know, bifurcated. So mm-hmm. we live in this project, but there's another one where a non-capitalist world emerged, where Occupy Wall Street was not stupid the way it was and actually made a difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that, that's it. Then you have a book. <laughs>
1: so uh, yeah, I can already like, I like you first of all I like you I'm like oh yeah you anger everybody every time you talk that's amazing (laughs) so sitting down like right like I was an academic like I've sort of done all the stuff like I was an academic for 12 years I've you know covered DC I've done books like and I do nonfiction stuff sitting down to write a novel did you have an like did it because there is this long tradition of like 1984 animal farm like this sort of you know there there is this tradition of this kind of book were you reading that stuff or you just like forget it i i think i got this and i'm going to work my way through this structure on my own no 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 i look i i've read all that stuff when i was young
0: right yeah Uh, i have a 1984 under my belt brave new world the whole thing yeah Uh, news from nowhere william morris Mm -hmm. i've read all that stuff in the past uh but i didn't i didn't do any research no
1: so you just sat down and wrote a novel Oh, my God. See, you're the kind of writer that other writers
0: are like, damn it, that's not the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I don't believe in the method. I'm not a method writer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it also probably is helpful that the because the, I think most people don't I think most writers do what you do, which is here's a question. And now I want to explore that. But you also probably had a lifetime of those characters in your head. Like every character that was making that argument, that was 40 years of research you'd already done.
0: Of course. Yeah. Of course. This is why I let, I, I, you know, I could not have written this novel 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's, it was accumulated stuff and also accumulated characters. Um, so, you know, um, you read the book, right? Um, have you read the book? I don't read the books till after I interview you people. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm asking you so that I don't want to, to give you spoilers. Yeah. Um, but the characters, there are three main characters, I can tell you that. This is also uh, in the publicity. Uh, one of them is the synthesis of all the neoliberal, neoclassical economists that I've worked side by side with. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I spent my life, you know, decades working in universities, teaching economics. Yeah. In Britain, in Australia, in uh, the United States, in, in Greece, yeah. in Belgium. And so I've worked with lots of neoliberal economists who actually believe in all that stuff. <laughs> and some of them, you know, we, we became very good friends and, and good colleagues and I, and, and I get to appreciate their thinking. I don't agree with them, but you know, sometimes I find their own thinking fascinating and the yeah. mathematical models. I, now, uh, uh, they are pieces of aesthetic beauty. They're irrelevant to capitalism. But they're very beautiful models, like, yeah. You know, like you can have the Ptolemaic model of the cosmos from the, the ancient Hellenistic Egypt period, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is wrong because it puts the, the Earth at the center. But yeah. it is still, as as a model of the world, it's beautiful. Yeah. So I, I this is how I approached the economy, the economists' models as an economist as well. Yeah. Uh, so Eva, this one person, encapsulates all of those people. Um and there's another one, another woman, Iris, who encapsulates all the genuine revolutionaries I've met. But genuine, not not pretend revolutionaries. Yeah. Um, and she's genuine to the extent that she fears other she fears herself and revolutionaries more than she fears the enemy. Um, because the revolutions have a tendency to eat their children, right? Yes. Yes. From the French Revolution onwards. <laughs> um uh, and then there is a technologist. So those three, what I can tell you, because this is not in the book, but I can give you the philosophy behind it. They, they represent the three varieties of modernity, each one of them, a defeated one. All modernity has been defeated. You know, The idea that progress and rationality is going to create freedom and prosperity. Yeah. Um, every single one of these varieties of modernity has crashed and burned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Marxism, my, my, my lot, and I, I consider myself to be a Marxist, you know, we, we, we were destroyed by history in 1991 and beyond, right? We are constantly the losers of history. Um, <laughs> you know, we, if the enemy didn't get us, our comrades got us. Yeah. Yeah. Gulag, Particularly right? in
1: academia, you can't even say that word, and people automatically sort of are like, okay.
0: Of course. And, you know, and, and you remember, the, the GULAG was created for communists by communists. Yeah. <laughs> Not created for anti-communism. Initially, yeah. Stalin killed other communists. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, you know, that's one um, uh, defeated version of modernity. The other one is the neoliberal one. Yeah. Because the true true blue neoliberals are just as defeated as we leftists are. Uh, the people who believed in the market. You know, what market? The Federal Reserve is printing good of money. Right, and and the state is, is has never been more powerful than it is now. Um, so there is no such thing as um, a free marketeer's paradise. It's all it's all crashed and burned, especially in two thousand and eight. So that, which nineteen ninety one was for us the leftists, two thousand and eight was for people who truly believed in deregulation, financial markets, in markets and so on. And the third variant of modernity that you know. The, Another loser in the book is Costa, who's the technologist. Mm-hmm. That's the variety of modernity represented by people in the late 80s, early 90s, who believed that the internet and digital technologies would create democracy, e-democracy, a global village, would, yeah. uh, liberate us all. And you know, then Facebook came along and, yeah. and Amazon, and, and we became more slaves than we ever were. It's, so, you know, it's,
1: I want to just, ju- It's because it, I worked at Wired and uh, I got there in '98 like I went to, I I grew up reading boing boing I grew up reading all these techno I mean I was a science fiction guy but also then like all of the sort of 80s and 90s techno folks I was on the well when I was like 12 years old I went right. to Wired to work there because I was I was a true believer and I've talked about it was this an on exciting this. magazine as well Yeah and I mean it was it was Very the exciting. thing that you read at that time to sort of s- right. l- look at an early Wired changed once it got the Condé Nast early Wired was really techno anarchist, you know anarchist and then it became became, yeah then it became uh uh conde Nast, the biggest magazine company in the world and suddenly we were writing about microsoft and business and there was and (laughs) i got there right about that time as a true believer and we've talked i've talked to lots of people from that time who were i mean i got friends all over the world that were technology journalists and there's been a reckoning where we're like we did not see this coming well at all like we we got mm-hmm. too true relievery and not enough of like, is it good that everybody Every can do it's It's children, yeah. as we say. Yeah. yeah. No, it's like you said that, and I'm like, oh, I know how the techno thing ends because there's been a huge reckoning of people that wrote about that in the late 90s and early aughts about how much we've missed and about mm-hmm. how damaging it's been that we missed because mm-hmm. there were no rails put on that at a
0: time when you still could maybe have put rails on it. Yeah. So, you know, I think you will um, appreciate my character, Costa. Yeah. I'm going to appreciate them all because I work for a neoliberalist. So (laughs) I'm
1: very excited for this.
0: The the one thing I will let you in, which is not something you would ever work work out by reading the book, is that Costa is based on a real person. Oh. Uh, Almost, you know, except for the crazy science fiction things that happen in the book, uh, everything else is true. Oh, really? He lives in San Francisco as we speak. I mean, of exactly. course.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: of course. Of course, that person does,
1: because that's he's either that or Silicon Valley. That is the epicenter of the black hole of techno stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, it was part of the reason that I like when you came across the desk. I, I mean, I sent him a meeting. Yes, because I was like, oh, yeah, this it sounds both relevant because of the. Everything right—the pandemic and the wealth redistribution that's happened during that time, and and just the like you said, the last since the big crash, the just insanity that at least this country—I can only speak about America because I'm here—but like the distribution and the ways in which workers are now, it's just it's it feels like a really dangerous time. But also this other idea of these clashing ideas, because at the end of the day, I've lived through all of those in various parts of my life. and I like, I like the like dystopian because I'm assuming it's dystopian. It's not hopeful, right? No, no, it is hopeful.
0: Oh, you wrote a hopeful book. It's not dystopian, <laughs> but it's not stupidly utopian. Okay, good. So um, it's not utopian actually at all. I'm good. trying to create a realistic picture of what a non-capitalist world would look like. Technologically advanced, non capitalist, which means that there is a lot of hope. It's a lot better than what, what, what we live through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's got it's, uh, its problems. That's good because I feel
1: like, I mean, I'll be interested to see how America. So I starts. try to invent problems that don't exist today right. for that world. Right. But I'm also <laughs> assuming that that probably wasn't that hard because you can imagine, like, once you, if you, if you are a, not cynical, but like if you've lived through stuff, you're yeah. like, i can now figure out probably what the first 10 things are going to be these are not hard to figure out that's right (laughs) yes we see the big boulders coming it's the little boulders that get us
0: yeah that's exactly right right. (laughs)
1: uh you are uh delightful i was so excited to have you on the program uh the book is another now and that's it's
0: out now right it's out all over yes it's out it's out uh i am in, in 30 languages that's so amazing including Complex Chinese Mandarin. Wow. Wow.
1: Is what the the real test is, is it in uh, Hungarian?
0: Remember, but uh, (laughs) it probably is. I'm not sure, I'm not sure.
1: Because that's the language, like every time I go there, I'm always, people always tell me like, this is the language that's not like any other language on the planet. They're very proud of that. Hungarian,
0: (laughs) there is a family though it belongs to. Hungarian, Finnish and Turkish. Really? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The three languages are related yeah turkish in and finnish
1: i go over there with a, a person that speaks fluent russian and german uh and i speak a little german and we're always like this is the only That's place helpful. on earth where those are not helpful <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the french german and russian is worthless the words kind of sound the same don't mean anything similar That's to right. what That's they right. do That's right. That's <laughs> uh well this has been great um i'm literally getting off the phone and ordering this book because it sounds amazing and it sounds important and uh oh. Uh, I I'm hope just, you enjoyed it.
0: That's, that's all I can say.
1: Yeah, and uh and I'm really I'm thankful that that someone like you took some time to come talk to us because uh Most you well. know, you I, I like people. I like It was my pleasure. Too. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> and I like In My people. mind of COP <laughs> 26. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah, well, good luck with getting <laughs> that done for the Guardian. I look forward to reading that too. Well, you have a good day and uh we'll talk again soon, I hope. Yeah, hopefully. Okay. Bye. Good day. Bye. Bye. Well, good people, there you have it. That was Giannis Varoufakis. His book, Another Now, is out right now. Uh, I think it's amazing that his wife was like, yeah, so uh, what would this look like? And then he had to sit down and figure out, "Oh, okay, so what would this look like? What is this world that I'm talking about? What would that look like? You know, if you've listened to the show, you know uh, I've evolved in the way I think fiction impacts us. Just talking to writers and talking to um readers and the way people experience things and so I find it really interesting that as he sat down to design what this sort of post-capitalist world would look like or a world without capitalism um, that he did it through a novel and that it was about um, points of view and sort of pitting those against each other and that it wasn't utopian because I you know I mean you know people I mean you know yourself like yeah utopia doesn't exist so um, I'm really looking forward to that book will be here in just a couple of days and I can't wait to dig into it. Before we get out of here, just a couple of reminders. If you like what you heard, the two favors I talked about at the top of the show, if you have a book lover in your life, let them know about what we do and leave us a review either on Apple Podcasts, if you've got an iPhone or over at the Facebook page at the Writer's Jam. Don't forget to check out all of the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen podcast queen, Molly McLear, video podcast every Monday and Friday on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can also catch them over at the Riders Jam, or you can catch the audio wherever you listen to the Downtown Writer's Jam. And the Jam is out every Wednesday. The only way to not miss everything is to get yourself subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at the Writer's Jam. Till the next time, I will see you around the internet. Some of the best content for kids is both entertaining and educational. And with 5 for 5 Trivia, not only do kids get to learn from each week's brand new theme, they also get to challenge themselves by playing trivia. A Parents' Choice Foundation Silver Award winner, this fast-paced trivia podcast is perfect for kids ages 6 to 12. It's released five times a week, so it's a quick addition to your daily routine. And a fun challenge to get five out of five right on trivia topics like animal sounds, time travel, fictional ghosts, and underwater exploration. So get your high fives warmed up and check out Five for Five Trivia, available wherever you listen to podcasts.